Hi, this is Queer Margins in Quarantine, and I'm Rhys T. Matthews. This week, I'm continuing to talk to interesting people doing great work within the LGBTQ community by talking to the man who's working on bringing us the UK's first national LGBTQ museum, Joseph Galliano. He was good enough to give me some of his time towards the start of last year, and we spoke about his plans for the museum, how close they are to getting it open, and everything in between, including marching in London Pride with Sam Smith. So let's get straight into it. Here's Joseph. So Queer Britain, we're a charity working to establish the first UK national LGBTQ plus museum. Why is it important? Right, like, why is that important to you that Britain has got has its own LGBTQ plus museum? Well, there's so many things. I mean, going back to uh, being a teenager myself, I, you know, I know how important it would have been to see myself stitched into a deeper, richer cultural fabric rather than um, being sort of invisible on that cultural <clears throat> on that cultural stage with very sort of limited tropes around us. Um, and you know, people have told our stories, told LGBTQ plus people's stories for years, um, but we haven't really owned that um, set of narratives. Mm-hmm. And um, as well as kind of um, using that to help, I guess, help build community esteem um, and confidence, it's also about um, sh- lifting those stories up, making sure that, they, that we show how important they are by giving them their own rightful place. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's, that's probably pretty much the main yeah. sets of reasons. You know, plus, um, you know, we we have such an unrecorded and under-recorded set of histories um, that it's kind of a missing gap in the British story, in the UK story. Yeah, definitely. So I've like heard about Queer Britain for like a while now, and I've, when I've been speaking to some people, they've said like museums just need to be like more inclusive. We don't mm-hmm. need a separate museum to tell like the story of LGBTQ plus history. Is it like? museums and i guess in a way museums are starting to kind of encompass more like queer content as well into their exhibitions do you think but do you, but you think that it's still necessary then well I, I think you know i think it wouldn't be um i think i'd want i don't think it's a zero-sum game and i think i want to see both of those things happening um you know for, for example i think you know you wouldn't say that there's no need for a an african museum for example mm-hmm. um but you still want to see that stitched through the other the other institutions as well. Um, yeah. But I think the other thing is that there's a, there's a capacity issue, and that there's so many undertold stories, um, and that for each if each each museum doing you know there's only so much each other museum can do at a time um, on this particular set of communities, um, and. I, I think we I think we run the risk of just getting lost in larger collections. Yeah, and um, like that thing you said as well, I guess is like, um, m- like it's about I guess those people like there are a lot of people who obviously who work for those, those museums who are like queer, but I guess it's about also queer people telling their own story in a way. Yeah, and I think I think that's absolutely true, and I think there is also a danger. And I also I, I want to really, really clearly caveat this with the fact that um, you know I absolutely think that collections in mainstream institutions should be should be queer, and there should be L, uh, LGBTQ plus people. Mm-hmm. Like all of our communities should be visible in those those spaces. Yeah. Um, but I think that we also 
um, you need to have some ownership of that. And within those spaces as well, it often relies on um, activist curators. And so it really, you know, it can take one person, one person leaving an institution for all of that programming to disappear. Yeah, that's true. I hadn't really thought about that. And when's it going to happen? Like I said, I've been hearing about Queer Britain for years. And I think <laughs> the last thing that I saw was like 2021. Is that still on the cards? Well, no, I think that was, that was 2021 was, uh, that was very, very early in our, in our rather naive <laughs> uh, setup days when, um, you know, we weren't, we weren't yet a charity and we weren't, um, you know, we were, we were building an organization and we had an opportunity for, um, a building that came up. Oh, okay. Uh, and we kind of, you know, we, we, we ran at it. Mm-hmm. Um, thank God it didn't go through. Oh, really? Why? Well, because I think, you know, given the amount of time it takes to go through, you know, something as simple as charity registration or something seemingly simple as charity registration, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, the absolutely essential thing for us to, to have to be credible as an organization. When you think about that, we think about how complex it is to take on these sort of multi multi million pound um capital and development projects mm-hmm. that actually you need to have built a bit of an organization first so we think we, we're working on strategy and planning at the moment on, on, on deepening that and we we think we're looking at 2025 is a realistic okay. uh, realistic view now that we've all got a bit more experience under our belt <laughs> you know, <laughs> we've got a better better sight of what we're doing and like I, like yeah, I mean, also it's, it has like coronavirus pushed that back at all, or is it that's still kind of? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's put some of our plans on pause. So um, we were about just before lockdown, we had we had um, uh, first piece of strategy that was um, uh, a preliminary strategy that had been signed up by the board, and we were also about so the board had just given me a big tick to go and look for a meanwhile home, so like a temporary okay. home for the museum. And uh, then two weeks later, the virus. Oh, right. <laughs> the virus so probably not wasn't hasn't been the best couple of months to go out looking for property. But what it has meant is we've had better time to do planning and um, uh, strategic strategic mm-hmm. work. And so that forth. that meanwhile home that you were talking about that that would yeah. start in twenty twenty five then. No, 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 okay. no. We want uh, pandemic allowing. I want something up and ready, up and running next year. Oh wow! Okay, so that'll be, but that'll be like a small, experimental, temporary home for um, a museum. So it's somewhere that we can experiment with putting on different types of exhibitions, something we can bring community groups into, donor groups, corporate supporters, and that, mm-hmm. that and so forth. Do a bit more, do a bit more programming. Get a, again, get a bit more experience under our belts. Yeah, and build the team. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you were saying like experience and all that sort of thing, but is, is money like money is obviously a huge issue? Like. It, are, are you kind of there in terms of, I mean, is this like an appropriate question to ask, but are you there in terms of like <laughs> money? Or are you like still massively like fundraising for it? Yeah. Well, no, at this point, we, at this point, um, you know, we're fundraising for the planning stage. So it's basically we're, we're fundraising to keep the organization planning and preparing, um, better understanding the nature of the larger capital projects when we come to it. So, mm-hmm. you know, obviously it's, it's a big, complex, expensive project to um, secure buildings and, you know, let alone collect and conceive of what you're going to put into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just the very act of getting all of that kind of information um, articulated 
that's quite that that takes quite a bit of time and quite a lot of quite a lot of um people's brains yeah um if we didn't go through that process we wouldn't be building an organization that was resilient enough or mm-hmm. capable of delivering on the bigger project yeah, yeah. it's a big beast of a project yeah. fabulous is your time like is your time spent like is, is, is it kind of like seven days a week kind of thing for you <laughs> now pretty much yeah i mean it's i never switch my brain off i'm going to work on this five you know work on this full time yeah um god but it's uh and there's two of us working full time at the moment um and this this takes up you know our full full time oh my god yeah and I... there's still not enough there's still not enough no. <laughs> no, no, it sounds like two people definitely isn't and like it like I can't believe you're getting all that done as well. You've done like loads of events like the um Mark Gatiss one at the Bishopsgate Institute with Mr. Um Lucas's diaries. That was fantastic. You had um Sam Smith March uh in Pride last year. Yes, Sam um well first of all Mark Gatiss brilliantly bought a set of diaries that are going into our collection to life from a civil servant who lived in South London from, um, I think the diaries started in 1948 and finish in 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mark Gates really brought these to life, um, in this wonderful event at the Bishopsgate Institute, which yes. incidentally so houses our archive. Um, we sold out those tickets. It was our first ticketed event and, and we sold out in, uh, 12 hours, 270 tickets. Oh, wow. Overnight. Oh. Okay. Cause my friend told, cause my friend works at the Bishopsgate um, Institute and she kind of gave me the heads up that it was happening. So I just went on like the first opportunity and bought it. I didn't realize it sold out that quickly. It did. Yeah. We spent a lot, a lot, lot of time um, having to apologize to people and not having the resource or the time to be able to um, uh, put on other, other mm-hmm. nights, just having to focus on this. And then with Sam, yeah, they, they marched with us at, pride and they they did the funniest thing they they set my they set our, our twitter feed on fire <laughs> by um tweeting a film of uh sam and me basically dancing down regent street together with with us all in our queer britain and levi's t-shirts because we were marching with our corporate partner levi's as well mm-hmm. and I, I i finally got uh some texts from my nephews my younger young nephews who finally seem to think they have a cool uncle now <laughs> So thank you, Sam. Yeah. And was that a complete surprise? Like, was that a secret until it was happening that Sam was marching? Uh, it wasn't a secret, but we weren't, it wasn't something we wanted to announce beforehand because actually we wanted them to be able to come and, um, just be part of the family rather yeah. than, rather than having to be a big, celebrity. right. Um, you know, and that's, that's kind of the, the atmosphere that we're trying to sort of foster is a sort of, family or a gang rather than yeah, uh, yeah. than somebody who's just there to kind of draw in loads of attention yeah because yeah, i didn't well, and, oh, well actually as well for sam you know obviously it's very good for us to be, be be seen with them um but what was really lovely was that as part of their journey sam um oh i nearly choked up sam tweeted that film mm-hmm. with the words with the words um i've never been i've never felt prouder to be queer thank you queer britain Oh. And that just really got me <laughs> quite choked up. Yeah. Choking, yeah, that's, yeah, that's beautiful. And like, I mean, like I was at Pride that year and I had no idea. I think my sister texted me about it afterwards or something that um, yeah. Sam was there. And I was just like, oh, 
oh, okay. And then I, I saw it on Twitter, like, afterwards. Oh, no, you should have come with us. Yeah, I know. I should have been there. God. <laughs> um, and did you have any sort of plans for um, Pride for this year that obviously didn't come to fruition? Or like, maybe you're going to use them for next year? Well, we're doing a couple of things. So we've, we've got um, Gay Times are putting out a, um, uh, a lockdown um, time capsule, which we're taking into, uh, which they're organizing with their readers and on their socials um they're gathering material and that's going to be going into our archive um oh. we're also we're also working on some on a project with um levi's our partner levi's mm-hmm. um which i can't really talk about right now because we're in the planning phase and, okay. and you know, the, the idea being that we're trying to kind of you know we, we couldn't have a physical pride so we want to be part of dragging tried out across the rest of the year mm-hmm. the other the other thing that we did is that we had um a lockdown hunt on our social media page which mm. um dan vo who's very talented and he runs the like lgbt tours of the uh, vna and places like that uh he did a uh, seven or eight week twitter takeover where he was asking people to send in um items from lockdown kind of taking the idea he runs it he runs a hashtag he runs a, a thing called museum from home mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the idea that we all live in our own archives. So that really, he built that up across seven or eight weeks. And the, the final week was, uh, the day before World Pride. And that was getting people to send in pictures of the outfits they would have worn or <laughs> pictures from Pride's past and sharing Pride memories. So yeah, although there hasn't been a physical Pride, we've, we've stretched out across the rest of the year, yeah. really. Yeah, so just to go back as well to, you mentioned earlier about exhibitions, like, I, yeah. I, I don't know if this is too far off, but what's, do you know sort of what sort of thing that we can expect from, like, Queer Britain? Like, will it be, like, a permanent collection with then changing exhibitions, or...? It'll be exactly that, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, what we're looking at is, we're, you know, because there's such a, a rich and diverse set of stories to be told, and because sometimes those stories will be about getting people through the door, and then other times those stories will be more community and issues focused mm-hmm. um what we want to do is design some space that has some permanent collection and also some space that's designed uh, in order to bring an endless series of sort of guest curators and visiting exhibitions um through the door as well yeah. um the other thing that's really important about that is that um we'll, we'll be creating a sort of a hybrid own collection and borrowing <laughs> collection right uh, sort of policy mm-hmm. um so a lot of the work the a lot of the uh, material that we'll access will be through um partner organizations collections and other other collections within the sector obviously when stuff like this happens there's a concern that people that the sort of loudest voice sometimes within the community mm-hmm. is the voice of like the gay man and yeah, yeah and like obviously you're like uh, uh from what i know like a cis gay man will like every member of the lgbtq plus community be like represented in like all the exhibitions will that be something that you guys are like striving towards do you know if it ends up just looking like me then (laughs) i might as well pack up my bags and go home i know i'm working from home but i may as well (laughs) (laughs) just shut your laptop down and never open it again go even further home yeah (laughs) um this is something i'm really really passionately concerned about Mm -hmm. um when i say concerned about i mean something I want to make sure that we've addressed. And so we're actually in the process of doing things like um, we're, we're delivering on a, what I'm calling a conscious inclusion strategy, right? where we're basically consulting with different groups um, sectionally mm-hmm. um, 
phrasing the question, you know, rather than rather than rubbing our hands together anxiously and saying, you know, all diversity is difficult. What we're doing is we're we're, we're phrasing the question to different groups of people. What would amazing look like? What would make you want to be part of this? What would make you feel like you were involved? What would make you want to tell your friends and bring your friends to this? Mm-hmm. And um, we started out, the first group we started out was a group of people of colour. Um, we then had a, a followed that up with a trans group. Mm-hmm. Um, shortly after, in a short while, we're going to be working on a disability group. Right, okay. Um, and then <clears throat> what the plan is, most likely, and I say this most likely because we, you know, this obviously is still a listening phase project, mm-hmm. but I think that probably what will emerge out of that will be a an intersectional um, uh, inclusion council that we can just use as a kind of a filter on everything that we do just to check, is everybody being heard? Is everybody being represented? Um, mm-hmm. Are we missing anyone? Yeah, I think that's so important. I think people do sort of worry as well, don't they, in the lead up to stuff like, like obviously some, something like this happens amazing, but I guess people just get a bit sort of anxious, don't they, in the, yeah, in the lead yeah. up to it that, yeah, people are just going to be left out, I guess. And, and, and quite understandably, yeah. it, it's not surprising really given that we have an ongoing history of that. Mm-hmm. No, not yeah. just not just within the not just within our sense of communities, but within you know, I mean, the whole um, Black Lives Matter uh, piece, for example, it's it's an expression of that similar sort of um, thing at a different scale. Did you come across any like? Um, have you had much sort of negativity about Korea Britain, for, either from like within the community or from outside about sort of setting it up? No, no, um, no. I've not really encountered. I've been very lucky to not mm. not really encounter anything. Uh, obviously, people have questions mm-hmm. and some people some people have different um ideas for what you should be doing but um one of the questions one of the things that obviously we we were aware of and were concerned about from the start mm-hmm. is how people would react to the name to the name queer yeah um we did quite a lot of soul searching on that and really sort of thought that actually we wanted something we, we felt that you know queer was as inclusive as it could be mm-hmm. underneath the the acronym um it was also it was also the name that people you know younger people in particular were were really embracing and mm. that while we're aware that there's still some lingering pain um around that word we'd also like to be a part of that last bit of rec- last bit of reclamation yeah yeah definitely and like that um i feel like younger people are using that term and like from when I was from the first series, like talking to older queer people, like they're, they are like people who are like 60s, 70s, they've always used that term as well. It's kind of like that sort of gap in the middle that some, where the main amount of people are sort of like have been a bit concerned about the use of the word before. Yeah. And mm. I think, and I completely understand that. And I think it's completely fair enough. I mean, uh, and, and I just, you know, I sort of want this to be part of that conversation rather than it being something that makes people feel bad. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and, and I think, I think as a museum, as I think as a museum, that actually fits quite well within our within our remit, which is is to um, uh, explore social change and and, mm. and kind of comfort offer, offer comfort around social change and. Yeah, true. And I guess you've got that. You know, that even that word. Like there's a word in your name which has got a sort of has got a whole kind of background and that probably needs a bit of explaining already and that that kind of sets off the conversation before someone's even stepped through your doors in a way. 
exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Um, what's your favourite item at the minute in Queer Britain's collection? <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, we've got some fantastic... I mean, we've... <laughs> There's so many good things in there so uh, so early on. So, yeah. Because um, at the yeah. um, at the Bishopsgate, uh, you yeah. had some pieces on display, like uh, the Monopoly board. Yeah, there was the, the, the um, trans gangster Monopoly board. Uh, yeah, right. Sarah, Sarah Jane Baker talking about the experience of being trans in prison. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's very graphic. Very yeah. uh, when I say graphic, I mean graphic in the sense of design. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Sense. Um, very partial to um, Ollie Alexander's stage outfit and yes, that's uh, fantastically um, eccentric surreal costume from mm-hmm. uh, Sink the Pink as well. Yes, yeah, that's great. Um, but then also we've got some really important sort of uh, other really important. Um, historical artifacts we've got uh, michael cashman put the um the second limehouse declaration um okay. into our into our collection which was the document that he and um six men <laughs> signed mm-hmm. when they set up stonewall um as their kind of um letter of intent right um and what i've got the we've got the original of that um we've got the collection of the justin campaign which is the work by a fantastic artist um, Jason Hall, who set up the first kicking kick homophobia out of football oh. campaign. Um, it was set up in the wake of Justin Fashionu. Right. Died. Yeah. So we got their collection. So the, there's all sorts of bits and pieces. Um, Grace's Cricket Club, <laughs> the only the world's only LGBT professional cricket club have put some items into the collection as well so you ask me what my favorite is i'm afraid they all are and um, would you say it's like stored in the bishopsgate institute now yes okay yes. yeah yeah so they do our archiving for us amazing right okay and that archive like I we love we love the bishopsgate institute we love them yeah i've been there i've been there like for like events and stuff like that and then i've went to like check out some things in the archive before and it's like oh my god yeah they, they've just got everything it's a treasure trove yeah absolute treasure trove it's insane and like there i got some i can't remember what magazines they were uh but like old issues of a gay magazine i can't remember what it's called now but it was one that was like shut down because it sort of went bankrupt because of when like, are you talking about what era what era are you talking about uh, i think it must have been like the maybe like the 70s or 80s so there would have been like gay new gay news yeah that? yeah i think that yeah. was it yeah that was kind of like the uh, the early sort of definitive yeah, um, and like I just like and actually, gay, gay, gay Times came out of um, that was one of the the papers that um, uh, the publishers of Gay Times absorbed into Gay Times. Ah, okay, right, okay, yeah, and like I went there and it was just oh my god, it like I thought like oh I'll have a look at like a few old magazines because there's something I was working on and <laughs> I just thought they'd have like a couple but they don't have like every single oh, one. No, no, acres, acres. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. How did, like I didn't realize that much space. Um, yeah. But yeah, when, so talking about Gay Times, when you finished as the Gay Times editor, did you yeah. leave with having this in mind? You know, it was in my head. I mean, it was in my head, um, and it, largely because I think one of the first times that it's, I started really thinking about it was during the 40th partial, anniversary of the partial decriminalisation right. of sex for gay men. Mm-hmm. Um, I was wondering what the generation gap that had grown up between younger men and older men were. So as part of our coverage in that um, issue, 
we we got four young men who hadn't yet been born in 1967 and four who were already adults in 1967 and just sort of fostered a conversation between them to see what they knew of each other's yeah, lives. Yeah, I sort of remember that. <laughs> really, uh, very very kind of you to to to, to say so. Um, but I think, like, as in, like, I was quite like that. So that was been like 13 years ago, right? Nine, ten, yeah. God, yeah, it's galloped away. <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm saying it because it obviously, like, because uh, I don't think I was like properly like taking in what was happening in like the gay world. And so that's why I mean when I say like, I think I remember it because it's even something that like came through for, like from what I was like, yeah, from what I. Oh, that's amazing. Were you were you reading Gay Times generally at that time? Or no, 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 I wasn't. Because how old had I been? Like thirteen years ago, like fifteen. Oh, wow. So right, right. I think yeah. Is that yeah? Um, so yes, yeah, so and no, like I wasn't. That's what I mean. Like I, that even came through from like I don't know being on like MySpace or like you know just like being on the internet all the time. It 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 was I thought one of the more interesting one of one of one of the pieces that more sort of stuck with stuck in my brain actually yeah. and i think one of the things that really stuck out was that two of the and, and i hasten to add as well gay times you know it was largely a men's magazine which is why this particular focus was so yeah. uh, male oriented plus it was about the partial decriminalization of male gay sex mm-hmm. um however i was quite taken aback by uh, discovering that two of the younger guys had never known that it was illegal wow and that really sort of set in, set rolling, I think, in my head, the idea that we needed to do something to make sure that everybody was brought up to speed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And so, so when you left Gay Times, then what, what was your, like, you know, what were you leaving for? You just sort of felt like you needed, like, you know, I don't know, uh, a new yeah, challenge. I, at that point, I was leaving because I'd, um, we'd just done a feature, which was, um, I think it was the, f- I can't remember if it was either the 25th anniversary issue of the magazine or the 400th mm-hmm. issue. I can't remember. It was one of those sort of anniversaries. Yeah. And um, we we wanted to find, I wanted to find a way that, um, again, spoke to both our older readers and our younger readers. And so we did a, a, a feature that was um, where we invited famous people to write a letter, and seen people, to write a letter to their younger self, their 16-year-old self. Mm-hmm. And it came off so nicely. I just, I knew there was more to do with it. So I left, I think, three years after that, I worked on publishing books with that theme. Um, so we had, we developed a book series called Dear Me, A Letter to My 16 Year Old Self. Right. Okay. And we used that to raise money for the Elton John AIDS Foundation mm-hmm. for, um, Medicine Sans Frontier, uh, the Irish Youth Foundation. So kind of a nice celebrity compendium mm-hmm. charity vehicle. And wow. I worked on different editions of that for about three years. And now this has taken over your life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, nothing like liking a good project. Yeah, exactly. God. Um, and I guess I've just got one question left, and that's um, like, how can people help make Queer Britain happen? Well, the first thing they can do is they can go to um, queerbritain.org.uk mm-hmm. and they can, first of all, sign up for our newsletter. Mm-hmm. So keep abreast of what's going on. Um, they, they're also through the website. If people want to, um, support financially, you can do that with either a one-off or a becoming a member, mm-hmm. which you can, uh, which you can set up for any, any amount, um, you want from a pound to a million pounds a month. Um, and for that, you get like tote bag and, um, postcards and, uh, sort of special lines of communication with what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, 
if they have ideas or skills that they want to um uh, whether that want to bring to bear whether that's you know fundraising or organizational skills of some sort um drop us a line to hello at queerbritain.org.uk um tell us how you'd like to help and we'll see if that works with what's going on thanks a lot for listening if you're not aware queer britain have put on a lot of really good events this month and they're definitely worth checking out i think you can find recordings of some of them on queerbritain.com one that's especially worth checking out is the talk between mark thompson lisa power joseph and russell t davis and yeah you can find all the info about that on queerbritain.com and as Joseph said, if you want to get behind Queer Britain and support them, you can do that in the same place too, queerbritain.com. And if you want to get in touch with me, then please do through Instagram, which is at Queer Margins. And I'll be sharing some pictures of all the things we spoke about there, like Ollie Alexander's Glastonbury outfit, uh, the Stonewall Declaration, and a couple of other things that we spoke about during the interview as well. Um, If you enjoyed this episode, it would be really helpful if you could rate and review it. And I'll be back shortly with some more episodes. Thanks.